0: just trying to find esther in my bible
1: i've got deja vu every
2: time
0: hi welcome to
1: scattered we're a group of friends from the same church who are serving god in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the bible chapter by chapter we'd love you to join us
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Scattered. We're doing our last week in Esther this week. So we're doing Esther 9 and 10. 10 is pretty short. In fact, I think it's only three verses. We left the story last week where with God's people celebrating because this second decree has gone out, which basically means that they're not all going to be slaughtered. Um, so they're celebrating. They can defend themselves against their enemies So in these chapters that we're looking at today, uh, there's going to be a lot of death because this day, this day of reckoning uh, arrives, which is the 12th month, the 13th day of the 12th month. It turns actually into two days of reckoning because Esther asks for a second day. So on the first day, loads of people die in Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire, and about 75,000 people. If you think of the whole of the Persian Empire, tons of people die. But interestingly, it's mentioned twice that they the, the Jews did not lay hands on plunder, which uh, we can look at later. Um, and then at the end, we've got Purim. The festival of Purim is instated and celebrated. And then Mordecai kind of begins his rule as like second in command to the king Xerxes. So it's kind of ushers in this new era. So, guys, we've seen quite a few themes pop up in Esther what would you say is tied up nicely in these two chapters? I guess there's a big
1: theme in these chapters, isn't there, around justice and how God's justice is brought to pass for his people. And I think that's hard for us as modern readers to read because it's really bloodthirsty and we <laughs> really struggle with that. Mm. But one of the books I was reading said we, we've, we can't miss this celebration of rescue that's going on here, and because we get so tied up with how many people died, that's horrible. Actually, these were God's enemies, and these were people that were sworn against God's people, and that had had nine months to change their position on that. And so, yeah, I guess God's justice and the way God rescues His people. And I think we saw quite a few weeks ago the sort of covenant promises that God made back all the way back to Abraham that. I, if you bless my people, I'll bless you. And if you curse my people, I'll curse you. And just seeing that played out here is, it's hard, but I guess it is um, an amazing rescue, isn't it? And an amazing turning of the table so that God's people are saved and rescued.
2: Yeah, because it seems to me that the Jews are allowed to defend themselves, right? That it's not that they're allowed to just go out and kill anybody. It's that people have come together to slaughter the Jews, and suddenly this second decree means that they can actually defend themselves. Is that where most of the bloodshed happens, would you say? Yeah, I
1: think that's the deal, isn't it? That actually, something else I was looking at was, it's shocking to us the numbers, but actually the shock is the number of people that are set against the Jewish people, even within Mm. the city of Susa, where Esther and Mordecai have lived, there's 500 people on day one that are enemies of the Jews and so it is shocking isn't it how many people
2: despite this decree are sworn enemies of the Jewish people and it includes it includes doesn't it um, Haman's sons who on the second day are then speared on a on a pole or hung on the gallows so it's kind of like a tying up of this retribution against Haman's family isn't it which Yeah, you're right. It's very bloody. Um, But also you kind of have to think these these guys probably also set out to kill some Jews on this on this day of reckoning.
0: Yeah, I just think a few things. One, that when we sin, we set ourselves against God. God is the only standard of goodness and righteousness. And when you sin, when you set yourselves against God, that has to be dealt with, doesn't it? You know, that God is just and God's divine justice always means the destruction of evil. So I say God has said over and over and over again, what will happen to people who set themselves against him? He says it in Isaiah. He says it in Exodus. He says it in Deuteronomy. He's shown it in, in Egypt. You know, Pharaoh set himself against God and all the firstborn children died. But it's not without warning, is it? I'm not saying that, therefore, they get what they deserve. But like Jill said, these people have had nine months to consider the might and and the greatness of the Jewish God and yet have still chosen to attack the Jews after an edict was put out saying they can defend themselves. The other thing you mentioned
1: at the beginning, Mary, about the fact that it's mentioned a few times all the way through the passage that they don't take any plunder. And when I was reading up on that, I, I guess I saw quite clearly that they are the Jews in these passages are the instruments of God's justice in a holy war type sense, aren't they? And that's why it's so important that they don't. Have, there's no personal profit for them because they're just doing the Lord's will, and so they're ex- they're, they're doing His justice. And so I think that's why it's emphasised three times. But they took no plunder. Because we're supposed to see that this isn't about them being mean, this isn't about them trying to line their own pockets, this is about them completing a work that King Saul didn't do generations earlier.
2: Mm. And I think we tend to kind of cower away from the idea of justice, don't we, when we see it like this. But then when we see kind of the scope of evil in our world, like we crave justice, don't we? I mean, even I look at my children and, you know, when one of them takes something from the other, they crave justice from like a really early age, don't they? And they they fight for fight for that kind of what they see as justice from an early age, because I think God's put it in our hearts, hasn't he, that we, we desire justice. And I Yeah it's challenging isn't it when we kind of we have quite a small sense of justice I think in in our own lives but God's justice is is perfect and good and it's trusting that isn't it and when we look at stories like this but also when we look at our own lives and injustices that we see um, happening to us and to other people.
0: And doesn't this also make us think about you know the greatest injustice that ever occurred so we're thinking these people, these poor people, all these hundreds and thousands of people got slaughtered. That doesn't seem fair, and yet doesn't that point us to Jesus, who was completely good mm. and completely right, never did anything wrong, and yet was punished, not just for the sins of the people surrounding him at that time, but but ours as well. Like, why on earth should Jesus mm. get punished for sin for my sin? And God, who has to be just but also has to be good has dealt with all of that through jesus i just and he accepts us because of that
1: Mm. and i think that's a really Mm. helpful lens isn't it as well to to sort of deal with or view the people that would say oh i'm a new testament person not an old testament person like i don't find the god of the old testament very palatable and actually god's justice is the same isn't it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament but the means of that has changed forever at the cross because his justice mm. and his wrath were poured out on Jesus and so we are the recipients mm. of mercy and grace aren't we when we don't deserve it but God still holds the same view on justice doesn't he he's the, he's the same his character hasn't changed between Old and mm. New Testaments and I think it's really helpful for us to see that, isn't it, through this, that we we can't shy away from this because
2: God is just, but Mm. all that was poured out on Jesus. Mm, It's really, really beautiful. What other themes are kind of tied up in these two chapters that are worth mentioning, do you think? I just wanted to talk
0: quickly about, I think the other thing about um, what Esther asks, you know, can we have a second day of killing and all those kind of things that That have gone on is I think it just emphasizes the moral ambiguity of the book I think probably Mm. although Esther I think is one of the least taught books that I've heard in some ways it's probably the one that's truest to real life because we don't hear God mentioned we don't see him perform miracles in the way we do in acts and you know everybody's a everyone's got their sort of good and bad points and it's all a bit murky and so rather than it being a theme I just think it's there's a lot of moral ambiguity but we still see God working through the ordinary we still see God working Mm -hmm. in little ways he's not mentioned but he's clearly the one who's directing everything Um, and he's clearly directing everything towards the salvation of his people
1: I think one thing I saw in this that I'd not seen as clearly previously is the way that lots of these characters um imperfectly like Helen did said also point us forwards um to Jesus and I think Esther as the sort of courageous mediator does is supposed to point us forward to the perfect mediator who went in and stood in the gap and um Jesus took our place in that way and mediated for us but the I guess the one in this these verses that I've seen more clearly is Mordecai as the sort of the man that was the the sort of humble man that was then exalted to the highest place and Mm. just what a beautiful picture that is of Jesus and also yeah I, I just was seeing all the way as we chart that through the book you know at the point where Mordecai himself has been lifted up and Esther and yet the people are still under the original edict. It feels a little bit like that's so helpful for thinking about us now that Jesus, our champion, Mordecai, their champion, is, a, is installed, isn't he, in the highest place. He's in the heavenly city and yet we are still living under that sort of um, d- the curse of death and our bodies are still not perfect and we are still not perfect and we're still, so just like the Jewish people were waiting for a second edict, which was going to bring them freedom, That's a, that's been helpful for me in thinking about that's the state that we live in, isn't it? And it's hard living in this world because it's fallen. And even though our King is exalted now and Jesus is ruling and reigning, we're still living in this sort of broken world. And so I, I found that a really helpful picture of thinking, yeah, that's that's our reality too, isn't it? and jesus is going to make all things right but right now we have to live in the brokenness of the here and now
0: yeah it's that concept of um now and not yet isn't it that concept of all these promises are true now and yet (laughs) we know we're waiting but we're not waiting as people who are without hope we know that those promises are true we know that they will be fulfilled we just, and they, will, and they are fulfilled, and yet we are still having to wait it out until we get that final deliverance.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's really helpful, isn't it? The way that then we see by chapter 10, Mordecai is so powerful in the empire. He's the second in command. And he then commands the people to remember this deliverance because he knows, doesn't he, that it, it's not done. This is, it, they, even this in Esther is a temporary deliverance. And so there's that, um, the whole setting up of the um, festival of Pur- Purim is there to help them keep remembering, isn't it? And I, and I guess keep looking forward to the fact that there's a greater deliverance to come.
0: And throughout the mm-hmm. Old Testament, you see loads and loads and loads of instances, don't you, where God commands people, or the leader of the Jewish nation at that time commands the people to, for example, build an altar. You know, they cross the Jordan or they cross the Red Sea, I think, and the first thing they're told to do is to collect some stones and build an altar and that kind of thing. Remembrance is huge, isn't it? It's a big deal in the Old, particularly in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, because uh, jesus says doesn't he take this bread and wine and and do it in remembrance of me that's our our act of remembrance isn't it that we can we know that our ultimate act of salvation has taken place for us and we are to remember it because like the israelites we are a people who are very prone to forget
2: let's talk about purim a bit more so why what what do they used to do and also why don't we as you know god's people now why don't we celebrate uh purim
1: i i was quite entertained about this in a way because (laughs) one of the books i read said you know it's quite striking isn't it that in the uk sorry if you're not in the uk um we have a festival where we burn an effigy of a you know of a bad person that was stood against the UK government. And that's not what Mordecai says here. Is he? he doesn't say, let's all make effigies of Haman every year and burn Haman. He actually, I guess, under God's um, sovereignty, wants them to feast, remember the deliverance and be kind to the poor and share what they have. And I just thought that's a beautiful, God actually deliver them here and wants that to overflow in gratefulness and generosity rather than the burning Mm. of a guy folks
2: yeah i love that about it is it which verse is it where it says that you should um he wrote to them so verse 22 of chapter 9 he wrote to them to observe the days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor and it's like this is a whole nation celebration. Like even those who normally wouldn't have enough money to buy each other gifts or buy enough food, let's make sure that everybody can celebrate.
1: And I think it still goes on, doesn't it? And the, that Jewish people today would still do that. They'd listen to the whole story of Esther. They'd share gifts. They'd have a fee- They'd have a you know a big family meal. Um, it is a it's
0: a big deal, isn't it? You your entire you exist because of what happens in the book of Esther you know of course you'd celebrate yeah of course you'd, if you recognize the greatness of what goes on in Esther of course you'd want to celebrate and and rejoice in God working in such a mighty way through the ordinary to save your entire people group
1: and I think you know, in the concentration yeah. camps, there were big sections of Esther found that that had been written out from memory by Jewish people to call to mind that God was their deliverer and like that's really powerful, isn't it? like in a Nazi wow. concentration camp, this was the scripture that people went to for hope.
2: apparently they read it out as a as a story. the whole family sits around, and every time the name Haman is mentioned, they'll all like Boo! hit things and make noises so that the name of yeah, so then the name of, like a bit like, um you know, Punch and Doody, like, and I think that's probably, you know, if, if year after year you're hearing this story from a child, then you probably, you know, like we all know the night before Christmas and all through the house, you know, you probably memorize it, don't you, as a family and it becomes part of your uh, heritage and yeah, it's beautiful. So why don't we, like we as God's people now, I know that um, Messianic Jews, I think they still celebrate Purim but you know as kind of Christians um, not brought up in a, in a Jewish household why don't we celebrate Purim now? I, I
1: think because Jesus commanded us to remember something even greater didn't he and our big remembrance is mm. Sunday by Sunday as we take the bread and wine we are remembering our eternal deliverance so you know this was a great deliverance for the jews wasn't it but it wasn't it wasn't the end of the story like there were going to be further oppressions of the jews and i guess for christians now we celebrate the once and final um deliverance from our sin um and from hell that jesus Mm -hmm. accomplished for us at the cross and so but it's interesting isn't it how it's Mm. a similar command to eat and drink and it's really sort of earthy and real and it's not some sort of super spiritual thing but it's
2: eat this drink this and remember
1: the blood that was shared and the body mm. that was broken
2: and I guess as well we just are so forgetful and um, our hearts so quickly grow cold don't they I think throughout the Bible throughout you know the whole Bible God's like remember 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 like you know tie this on your head and tie this you know put this on your doors and you know how how can we remember better I think it's a a challenge um I think the the Jewish people I think they do it quite well um in a way perhaps we as Christians don't I I we've started to try and think about this a little bit just
1: about having a even in our weeks having a balance of Sunday is the feast day in the week you know Sunday is the day where all all good things flow and all sweet things are eaten in a different way than the rest of the week. And I'm not good at that because I like treats all through the week, but I just think there's something really, it makes it more precious, doesn't it? When you save um, the best things for a Sunday and that becomes the feast day, um, which looks forward, I guess, to the final feast that we'll have in heaven. And then the rest of the week, is more the reality of this world that isn't full of all the best things, mm. and maybe, there's maybe a month, a few years ago when as a family we managed that and we didn't have treats through the week, and just the the joy then and the anticipation of a Sunday was really precious, but mm. then it, it's hard, mm. isn't it, to maintain that? Um, but I just think whatever mm. we can do to yeah. make Sunday, the day as a family that we feast together is is precious
2: isn't it and I think it's worth saying that I think this there's a tight a close link between remembrance and thankfulness and I wonder often when I'm struggling to be thankful I think I'm not remembering well and I think when when I'm struggling to remember it, I think they're linked and I think there's something to be said for um, cultivating thankfulness in our hearts in our prayers. With our children in a way that then causes us to remember. Because it it makes, you know, if we're trying to remember things God does, it causes us to be thankful. I think there's a close link there.
0: I also think that we need to be helping each other, don't we? It's not a case of, I need to remember this and I need to do this better. It's a community thing, pointing each other to Jesus, reminding each other of the greatness of what's been achieved. Because I think, you know, the other danger from, oh, I never, Remember, I don't hold the Lord's Supper up as highly as I should is well, I should do the Lord's Supper because it was commanded. And actually, the whole point of it is to make you recognize the work of Jesus and love Jesus more and be more grateful for what he's done, rather than it's a command and you must do it. You know, there's there's two dangers there, isn't it?
2: Mm, and as a yeah.
0: community, we can really help each other. Yeah, that are so- not
2: alone. <laughs> Yeah. And then again, there's something to be said for the regularity of celebrating certain things, because it does cause us to kind of remember, like there's both kind of sides to it, isn't there? Just going back to like tying up themes in Esther, I was interested. So just moving on to chapter 10 and the way that kind of Mordecai rises into his role as this kind of humongously important leader. I mean, it says in verse Three, that Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes. So that's huge, isn't it? He's this very powerful leader. Um, and I just think the contrast, like if you're thinking leadership in Esther, I mean, you've got Esther, who's obviously some kind of leader, you've got Haman, and you've got Xerxes, and you've got Mordecai. And it kind of finishes with Mordecai, doesn't it? And it says in verse three, um, he's held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. And I just think what a contrast that is to at the beginning of the book where you have King Xerxes, who loves to throw banquets and show off his power. And then you've got Mordecai, who loves his people. Um, And I don't know whether that means just his people um, or the people, just the people of the Persian Empire. I mean, then it mentions specifically the Jews. So maybe he's just a good leader, isn't he? And I think that's definitely an encouragement and a challenge for us. What does it mean to be a good leader and what does it mean to be a a bad leader? I find it interesting that at the beginning of chapter 10,
1: we're reminded that Xerxes hasn't changed. He's still imposing ridiculous taxes on the people and so actually mm. it's encouraging isn't it that Mordecai is able to be a leader like that even under a very corrupt mm. system still and Zer- we don't there's mm. no there's no personal growth journey really for Xerxes is there through this book he's constantly portrayed as the selfish indulgent fool and so but yet Mordecai is still able to lead well even in a system that's broken and corrupt which is encouraging Mm. in whatever little sphere we find ourselves it is possible to be godly even though the system we're in might be broken or the job we're in or the boss we work for or the husband we have or you know even though we were in corrupt systems there is space isn't there to do the right thing and be godly
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Okay, great. So just thinking heart level, application level, what are your big kind of take-homes from this chapter, these two chapters, or the whole book of Esther? What has kind of impacted you guys as we've been studying it? I
0: think I've been really challenged to think about my approach to God. You know, when when people ask about God, when I talk to non-Christians or even Sometimes when I speak to Christians, I always talk about the big events, you know, the big miracles in acts or, you know, this was the big moment in my life. And that that is good, isn't it? That is good. But I think also the thing I've really been challenged to see is how God works in my life in the day to day. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. I can think of myself as pretty independent and then God like swoops in and does these things in my life. Whereas actually he is at work in me through his Holy Spirit every single second of every single day. And he is involved in every interaction that takes place in my life. And I don't think I have given enough thought to that. I don't think I acknowledge mm. it. I think I'm, I like my independence, my uh, false sense of independence. And I think I need to acknowledge more of God's work in the ordinary in my life
2: great thanks Helen
0: I yeah mine I think I guess it's similar
1: but just the folk even though God's not mentioned in in the whole book I guess like Helen mentioned earlier the moral ambiguity of all the characters is has been really helpful for my heart that I I'm not the center of the story Jill jump it's not about you um like Jesus is the king isn't he and God's at work in everything and so that doesn't that doesn't mean that it, Esther didn't do a good thing by being brave and going into the king and God could use her but it's not about her and that's so helpful for me, for me just every day thinking god's at work it's i don't you know it doesn't it doesn't all revolve around me doing the right thing um mm. and there's just been there's just a real freedom in that i think of God's going to achieve his purposes, aren't they? God's purposes are not, um, not affordable. Like he's going to do them and great when we can get on board with that and do what he's asking us to do, but he's achieving amazing things. And yeah, that's been a really yeah. helpful guard on my heart to think God's purposes are continuing. Come what may.
2: Yeah. And he will, I I was struck by, you know, Esther, she had it all, didn't she? You know, she was chosen to be this, this queen. Um, she like won whatever the competition and yet God had her where he had her for a reason. It wasn't so she could sit, sit back and have an easy life. Like often the situations and positions we find ourselves in our lives. It's not just so that we can have a good life. It's, it's because God wants to use us. Like maybe he wants to use us as an advocate in our situation maybe he wants us to fight for justice in our situation I mean he has us there um you know as as westerners we definitely have more power and more position than a lot of Christians in this world like how can we use where we are and where God has us in life to love other people well and to you know to love our people and not just our people but you know our neighbor how can we love well with what he's given us? Um, we're not where we are by mistake. And, that, you know, that attitude that Esther has of if I perish, I perish. You know, can we use our lives even to the point of obedience to death so that God's purposes can be fulfilled? Um, I found that, that challenging. Like, even though she kind of at the beginning wasn't super identifying with her people, she got to the point of standing up to a king and approaching a king and facing death for the sake of her people Um, and that courage of potentially a teenage girl was very yeah striking to me. The other thing that really
0: struck me as we were going through it as my family looks to move on again is just how much Heyman represents us all as much as we would hate to admit it Haman represents us all doesn't he he represents the human condition of being set against God Um, and and God back in Genesis said you know there is this condemnation of death on you guys because of your sin and Haman represents us all Haman is an embodiment of that and he he decided to live a way that seemed right to him (laughs) and found out too late didn't he? He Mm. found out way too late that he'd gone down the wrong path. And so for me, this book has been a huge kick up the backside. The the fate of Haman is going to be the fate of people who don't know Jesus. That is going to be the fate of those people who set themselves against God. And so the urgency of sharing this stuff with people when able, or when invited to, is much more urgent than I think I've been recognising.
1: I think another theme on that line, Helen, that's really helped my heart is the way this book gently deconstructs for us and helps us laugh at this world and the foolishness of it at times. And it looks so impressive, doesn't it? And we're so often intimidated. And I personally, the people pleaser in me is often intimidated to speak of the hope that I have. And yet this book's been so good for me just at laughing at the foolishness of so much of the things that this world esteems and just how shallow and empty they are. And just as I've been reading it and studying it, that's just been really good to rub into my heart of look where this world ends and what, you know, just how empty it is. So that's been a really helpful thing in motivating me to be a little bit braver and a little bit more, um, yeah, able to speak. Yeah, it's
0: interesting, isn't it? Evil is always self deceptive, isn't it? It always appears to provide well being and safety. And yet, it really doesn't. um, You know, like, uh, even if you think about things like the temptation of Jesus, when the devil says to him, you can have all this land, you know, I'll give you all this, this kingdom, if you bow down to me, what he's saying is, you can have all this stuff, this stuff is amazing. But the background of what he's saying to Jesus is, then you'll be, I'll be your master. And I think we, it's so self-deceptive, isn't it? It's so easy for us to fall Mm. into that trap. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I think the other, the thing that I've really recognized as well is that we, we need to help each other. Like God has put us into a community for a reason. We're not individuals. We are, a body and we are there to help each other out because we are self-deceiving aren't we like Haman or you know we we are we are self-preservists like Esther was at the beginning Um, or we are willing to risk other people like Mordecai was at the beginning was willing to risk Esther and yet we have each other to point each other in the right direction to remind each other Mm -hmm. Actually this isn't what we were called for. this is what God has done, and this is how we should live accordingly.
1: yeah, I think maybe my favorite mm. little passage is the bit where Mordecai does that for Esther and he reminds her of who she is because then the change is massive isn't mm. it and yeah what a privilege that we can do that for each other and keep reminding each other of um who we are and who we belong to
2: mm. Mm. yeah so my prayer is that we can drive the drive these things into our hearts and that you guys listening uh to can uh feel this and act on this at a heart level um and yeah thanks for studying esther with us i'm not sure what we're doing next but um we'll see you next time Bye. bye bye